0: And turn your Bibles, please, to Psalm 35. Psalm 35, we're in a series uh, of asking timeless questions from the Psalms. Psalm 35, verse 1, and this is the word of God. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise up for my help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed to devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause, they hid their net from me. Without cause, they dug a pit for my life. Let destruction come upon him who, when he does not know it, let the net that he ensnare, he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it, to his destruction. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exalting in his salvation. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who's too strong for him, the poor needy from him who robs him. Malicious witnesses rise up. They asked me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good, that my soul was bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head, bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother, as one of laments his mother. I bowed down in mourning, but at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered. They gathered together against me, wretches whom I did not know, tore at me without ceasing. Like profane mockers at a feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. How long, O oh Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. I will thank you in the great congregation. In the mighty throng, I will praise you. Let not those who rejoice over me are wrongfully my foes, and let not those who wink the eye, who hate me without cause. For they do not speak peace, but against those who are quiet in the land, they devise words of deceit. They open wide their mouths against me and say, aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. You have seen, O Lord, be not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. Awake and rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness. Let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, Aha! Our hearts desire. Let them not say, We have swallowed him up. Let them be put to shame and disappointed altogether who rejoice at my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness And of your praise all the day long. And join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we are glad that it's your word that stands. So even now, Father, with this passage, Lord, as we look at this question, how long? Father, a question we've sung this morning, a question your word asks time and again. Father, show us your answer, we pray, and what it means for our lives, we ask. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Just one month ago on October the 6th, believers in Jesus Christ in Nigeria stood around a mass grave 15 feet wide, 30 feet long, and 5 feet deep. In it lay uh, 38 Christians murdered in their homes in yet another attack by terrorists, in the middle belt of Nigeria. And speaking of the funeral service, Reverend Michael Cosmas Magaji offered encouragement to the grieving crowd. It's true that we're afflicted but not crushed. It means that even though we suffer tremendous affliction, rejection, and abandonment, we will not be overcome by it because of God's sustaining power. You see, just 10 days before, on Sunday, September 26th, Fulani terrorists attacked and killed these 38 people. In addition, nine others were seriously injured and 46 homes were destroyed. At about the same time, four people were killed by the same jihadist group in another village. And according to Magaji, these attacks were simply because they were Christians. Five days later, six Christian farmers in Nigeria were murdered. A woman in India watches her sisters drug away for her faith in Jesus Christ by Hindu nationalists. She still doesn't know if her sister is dead or alive. A man in a North Korean prison uh, camp is shaken awake uh, after being beaten unconscious for his faith so that the beatings can begin again. Last Teacher Sunday in Sri Lanka, a group of children came laughing and talking downstairs after, after Sunday school. The bomb blast that went off, killed 12 of them. These people do not live in the same region of the world. They don't even live on the same continent, but they all share an important characteristic. They're all Christians. They've all suffered for their faith. While Christian persecution takes many forms, it is defined as any hostility experienced as a result of identification with Jesus Christ. From Sudan to Russia, from Nigeria to North Korea, from Colombia to Mexico to India, followers of Jesus Christ are targeted for their faith. They're attacked, they're discriminated against at work and at school, uh, and they face imminent death. They risk sexual violence, torture, arrest, and much more. We have one family among us that knows that persecution. firsthand: hand, and Pauline from Congo, who know what we're talking about. Today, over 349 million Christians live in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. Just the last year, there have been 4,761 Christians killed for their faith, 4,488 churches attacked, 4,277 other believers are detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. Now, change the setting. The scene is in heaven itself. Perhaps uh, we see it from the word this morning. People have been martyred for their faith, have gathered together, and they're wondering how long. And God's going to uh, allow them, uh, He's going to allow time on earth to continue so that His people, His blood bought church, will be killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. And we've already read the passage. And we saw the answer this morning, as, as Dee said, it's sobering, a little longer, until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been? The question those martyrs asked in that age-old question God's people have asked for thousands of years. How long? How long? So that's our question from Psalm 35 this morning. You notice we read the psalm. It's, it's what we call an imprecatory psalm. Imprecatory psalms express frustrations with the enemies of God's people, who are really the enemies of God Himself. And we can hear that frustration in this psalm. Imprecatory psalms ask God for justice, and they do it in strong terms, the strongest possible. Uh, and sometimes we'll see that request answered in this lifetime. But more often, the justice that they long to see brought to bear on those who oppose God and are really opposing God's agenda uh, and demonstrate the opposition by the way they treat God's people will not be visible until Jesus comes again. Now, we cannot cover everything the psalm talks about today, but what I hope is we see how David reacts to being persecuted physically, militarily, verbally. And I want us to see that, yes, he asked the question, how long? But also, I want us to know he asked another question, a question that reveals the hope he has that keeps him going as he waits for God to deal with those who persecute him. And so our goal is twofold this morning. One is so that we better understand our persecuted brothers and sisters, uh, it, and that, we, and that we constantly keep them in our minds and in our prayers. We need to comprehend what sustains them. Second, we need to be prepared for persecution that may come here in the United States. It's not here yet, not like what we have in the world, but how long till it is? How can we prepare our covenant children? How do we prepare our grandchildren? Uh, for what may be coming. So the answer is to see the answer how long, see how David sustained as he waits, to see how the persecuted church today is sustained as they wait, and to prepare ourselves for the day when persecution comes. Let's go to the text. First, notice David's plea to God in verse 1. God has a very specific request then in verse 3. Listen, "'Contend, O Lord, with those that contend with me,' Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise up, rise for my help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. David's really making two requests here. And and the the first, he expresses in a variety of ways. And in many ways, it summarizes what he's going to say throughout the rest of the psalm. He's asking God to fight against actively those who fight against him. He's under attack. Friends, the global church of Jesus Christ is under attack. And friends, while the focus that we have is so physical, make no mistake, it's a spiritual attack. And the persecution of the church is a spiritual battle. To fight it, we need God. David's second request is equally important. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Now, David knows that. We know that. But David wants to be reminded of that. Every persecuted Christian in the world needs to pray that prayer. They need to be reminded. The missionaries held captive today in Haiti. The Christians languishing in prisons in China believers in Pakistan and India who daily fear for their lives. The Afghanistan church where the Taliban are hunting them down. Whenever we feel under attack in our own lives, maybe not necessarily for persecution, maybe it's other sorts of problems, maybe it's just issues at work or at school or with people. We need to remember what God says to us. I am your salvation. God cares for us. God delivers us. God saves us. Our ultimate security is who God is, and He himself is our salvation. God's care for us is a personal thing. It's rooted in His love for us that causes him to be our salvation. And friends, that's our security right now. It's going to be our security for all eternity. We need that security when we learn the physical distress that David faces and what David wants to see happen here. Verse 4, notice he says, who seek after my life. Verse 6, he says, who devise evil against me. Uh, The physical distress David faces is in view here. And we see the intensity in, in the intervention he requests. Two things really stand out here. One is his request that the trap... That they've set for him uh, be turned around so that it catches them. Notice he says in the last part of verse 8 let the net that he had hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it, his destruction. The other thing here is the mention of the angel of the Lord. You know, of all the Psalms, it's only mentioned in two of them here and in Psalm 34 that Travis looked at two weeks ago. Notice he says, let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. Now we know this angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, that's Jesus himself. And so David's asking the pre-incarnate Jesus to pursue his enemies. He grasps that what 34.7 said is true The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. See, David has an amazing sense of the presence of God. Remember when we were studying Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 16, Hagar has to run away because of persecution from Sarah and Abraham. And she's alone in the wilderness. And who shows up? The angel of the Lord, Jesus himself, shows up for a conference with Hagar. Hagar. And he assures her he is the God who sees that what happened to her does not escape his notice. That reality of God's presence in the midst of persecution, God fighting against his enemies, causes an anticipation of God's deliverance. Verse 9 My soul will rejoice in the Lord, exalted in his salvation. All my bones shall say, "O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor needy from him who robs him." Well, there's the second question in the psalm to consider: Lord, who is like you? Uh, Who's like you? Don't you love this? And David says, "I can feel it in my bones." He knows it at the very depth of his his being. Now, sometimes you ever use the expression, I can feel it in my bones? You know, you're just so certain about something. Now, for us, sometimes that means we don't, we've got that feeling, but we can't cite the reason why. We just feel it in our bones, all right? Um, uh, but here, David anticipates something happening. He does feel it in his bones, but he knows exactly why it's going to happen. Who's like the Lord? But Nobody. Nobody. There's a certainty about deliverance here. God cares for his people, especially for his people no one else cares about. The message for the believer currently experiencing persecution who needs strength is to to remind herself or himself, who's the Lord? Who is it? And to know that he's the one who truly cares. He cares enough for me that Jesus died for me. And then David turns to another kind of persecution. And for us, this is a persecution that that precedes physical persecution. What is it? And it's slander. Verse 11, malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. Uh, The way the world responds to us verbally is in view here, summed up by the words malicious witnesses. This is verbal slander. This is lies about the people of God that are told, distortions. We are starting to see that in our nation today. Boy, of contrast, look at David's compassion for the world. Verse 13, but I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fashion. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother as one who laments his mother. I bowed down in mourning. See, David cares about those who persecuted him. Our heartfelt compassion should be for our persecutors because of the eternity they face if they do not come to know Jesus Christ. Mr. B was a state prosecutor in the time of the communist rule in Romania, but he fell out of uh, good graces of the communist party, and he was imprisoned by by them. He was transferred to a prison where the prisoners uh, had to do hard slave labor. At the prison gate, he was met by a stranger who immediately gave him something to eat. The stranger sat near him while he ate. Mr. B asked the stranger, he said, well, But how long are you sentenced for? And he answered, 20 years. And he said, what for? He said, for having given some food to a fugitive pastor sought by the police. Well, who gave such punishment for a good deed? You were the state prosecutor at my trial. You don't recognize me, but I, I recognize you. And I'm a Christian. Christ taught us to reward evil for its good. I wish to teach you that it's right to give food to a hungry man. That's one of Richard Warmbrand's experiences, the Romanian pastor who was persecuted and imprisoned, tortured, later came to this country. If you've never read his book, Torture for Christ, you need to. Because that's the way we're to love our enemies a genuine compassion that enables them to see Christ in us. But let's be honest, that's not easy to do. Why is that? Because it's the hatred of the world. Verse 15, But at my stumbling, when they rejoiced and gathered, they gathered together against me, wretches whom I did not know, tore at me without ceasing. Like profane mockers at a feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. It's one of the great problems of the church in the 21st century that we've got to come to grips with is our desire to be liked by the world. Our desire for the world to see us as compassionate and loving to try to gain their approval. Let me just say very lovingly, ain't happening, all right? With, with that desire... To, to be liked. What it's doing is driving the church towards theological compromise, towards moral compromise. Friends, the world hates the church because they hate Jesus Christ. And nothing, nothing is going to change that reality. So David asks the question, and he makes his plea in verse 17. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. David's plea is God, do something, deliver me. How long until you do? God does not answer his question here, but David does. David turns to anticipation of the fulfillment of God's promises. Verse 18, I will thank you in the great congregation, in the mighty throng, I will praise you. David does not know how God will answer his question. He doesn't know when God will answer his question, but he believes God will. He knows God will, and when God does, David will praise and thank God among the people of God. God's victory for the persecuted church is a blessing for the entire church. And together we praise God and we see Him act. Say, well, what if the person's killed? At that point, they have the privilege to be part of a greater throng. They're welcomed into the church triumphant in heaven itself. That hope That privilege in no way minimizes their suffering, but it does maximize their identity in Christ, their suffering with Christ. Friends, David's hope is not pie in the sky. He does want God to act. Note again what he says about the opposition, verse 19. Let not those who rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes, let not those wink who hate me without cause, for they do not seek peace, but against those who are quiet in the land, they devise words of deceit. Again, friends, the world has no cause to hate us, but they do because of Jesus. That's why Jesus quotes this very verse over in John 15. So what did Longfellow write that we'll be singing soon? For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. So David moves to close with a prayer. Verse 22. He's more specific here in what he prayed for in the previous verses. You have seen, O Lord, be not silent. Oh, Lord, be not far from me. Awake and rouse yourself from vindication for my cause, my God and my Lord. Even as God saw Hagar, God's the God who sees us. The, plan of the persecuted, pain of the persecuted church does not uh, escape God's notice. He sees it. He hears it. He comes. He surrounds friends. And he will deal with it. Make no mistake, the day of reckoning is coming for those who persecute the church. But it brings us to the climax here in verse 27 with the church. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. You've had the sense praise has been trying to break through the whole psalm. We saw it in verse 9. We saw it in verse 18. Um, And David remembers what Elijah overlooked in a similar situation. He has friends, a mighty throng, verse 18 says, whose delight, like the Lord's delight, is only for his good. That's the role we play as the church today a church with members scattered geographically around the world and generationally, generationally across time ever since Adam and Eve. We praise God for his care of his people in the most dire of circumstances. The stories of the incredible endurance of saints across the centuries emboldens us. They encourage us. We weep with them as they suffer. And we rejoice with them because God takes great delight in them. We do so knowing that as Luther wrote, what? The body they may kill, but what? God's kingdom is forever. So, what about us? I remember when I was in Romania 26 years ago, it was just six years after the revolution, and I felt uncomfortable. It wasn't a lack of hospitality. The Romanians in their poverty were very gracious, it wasn't the food. It wasn't the language. It wasn't even the generalized culture shock that comes from going back 50, 60 years in time. No, what made me uncomfortable in Romania was being around people, believers, who knew firsthand what real persecution is. Little dirt road village on the road to nowhere, called Mahoven, we sat and listened to the suffering and the martyrdom those people faced. We heard 18-year-old Florentine describe the beatings that his mother and his father received as he and his siblings hid under the kitchen table. An old man named Samuel, his eyes filled with tears as he told us about Florentine's father's death in prison. Samuel would not talk about his own pain and suffering. This a 93-year-old man accounted for his time in prison. We watched as the tears flowed from the mothers of a woman whose son tried to escape Romania prior to the revolution, whose whose fate they still did not know. These were people who had suffered. And I was hard pressed to tell them that I'd suffered for anything, for the cause of Christ. Could say nothing. Rather, I was humble when one Romanian brother said, You know, it must be hard to follow Jesus when you are free and you have everything you need. There's the great task we have as the church today is to be faithful brothers and sisters, to love the church, to pray for the church, and especially to remember and pray for our brothers and sisters being persecuted today, to pray for the 17 missionaries held captive in Haiti, to pray for those in Nigeria and in North Korea and in Iran, and in China, and Indonesia, and around the world. We pray, knowing that the most amazing thing about martyrs and those persecuted for the faith, is we watch them, we see the power of the cross. We see the power of the cross to identify with Christ in His suffering and His death. The power it gives them to forgive their persecutors, To say what Jesus said. And with him. Father forgive them. For they know not what they do. We may never be more like Jesus. Than when we forgive our enemies. Likewise we see the amazing peace. God gives to those who suffer. For their faith. That they can truly still sing. It's well with my soul. But remember again. While the. Physical suffering is real. This is a spiritual battle. requires spiritual weapons. Never underestimate the power of prayer. Never forget the wonder of the cross. That God forgives sinners just like us. And therefore we forgive our persecutors and we pray for them. Let's not forget that the angel of the Lord, Jesus himself, is with us. He's our salvation. And he is pursuing our enemies. He's encamped around us. He is with each believer who's in prison today with, with believers around the world for their faith. He's with their families. Why is that? It's the kind of God he is. Oh, Lord, who is like you? Delivering the poor from him who's too strong for him. The poor needy from him who robs them. The answer is, there is no God like our God. And so the answer to the question, how long, is a little longer until the number of our fellow servants and our brothers should be complete who are to be killed. One day when God's purposes are accomplished, the trumpet's going to sound and the lord's going to descend and that's going to happen it's going to happen and it will be well with our soul and so we pray come quickly lord jesus let's pray father we today remember as our brothers remember our brothers and sisters who, even now, are being tortured for their faith in Jesus Christ. We remember our brothers and sisters who today are meeting in secret to worship. And we pray for them, Father, for your strength and your presence, for your encouragement. We pray, Lord, with the hope that soon the night of weeping will be the morning of the dawn. We pray that Christ will come quickly. So give them strength, we pray. Lord, prepare us should we face persecution one day. Or may we be strong in the Lord, the angel of the Lord, a camping around us. If there's anybody here that doesn't know the hope of knowing Jesus as Savior... Today, Father, show them your love at the cross and draw them to that, we pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.